Romans chapter number 11, verse number 12. If you are able and willing, I would invite you to stand for the reading and reverence of God's Word. Read verse 12 uh, down through verse number 14, and we'll go to the Lord in word of prayer. And the Bible said in Romans chapter 11, verse number 12, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles... Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. Let's go, Lord, in order of prayer. Dear Lord, most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, I love you so much, Lord, and I thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for your grace, your love. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be together once again, singing sweet songs of Zion. And Lord, I'm so thankful that I am redeemed tonight and what all that means to me. And Lord, I have hope in this life and hope beyond this life. Lord, thank you that my redemption will never change. Thank you for it, Lord. I pray, Lord, you bless the uh, many prayer requests that have been mentioned tonight. And I pray, God, that you would uh, work in each and every situation. Lord, touch each and every one. I pray for a little while not you'd help us, Lord, as we gather around your word. I pray, Lord, you'd speak through me, give me the remembrance of the things I've studied. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, God, as only you can. Lord, if we leave this place looking at the preacher or thinking about what man said, Lord, it'll all be in vain. But Lord, if we leave this place thinking on you and what you've spoken to hearts, Lord, we'll be better for it. Lord, touch us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You might be seated. Thank you for standing to reverence the word of the Lord. Uh, I'd like to say a few things quickly by way of introduction to bring us back up to speed because it's been a few weeks now since we've been in the book of Romans. Uh, chapter number 11, but uh, last last time we looked at Romans 11, he preached out of verse number 11, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach it, but I do want to note some things there, because it will set us up to where we are here in verses 12, 13, and 14. And verse 11, we noted that Israel has not been rejected. Israel is still God's chosen people. Somebody help me right there. They're still his chosen people. They've not been rejected. In verse 11, we noted that Israel has not been replaced either. Amen. Uh, we have not taken the place of Israel. We are not spiritual Israel. We don't, uh, we don't worship on the, the Christian Sabbath. Amen. We worship on the first day of the week. We're not spiritual Jews. They're still the Jews and we're still the church. Y'all with me tonight? Say amen. We've not, they've not been rejected. We've not replaced them. And in verse 11, we noted that their rejection of God resulted in salvation coming unto the Gentiles. That's what verse 11 teaches us. In verse 11, we noted that salvation coming unto the Gentiles is meant to provoke them to jealousy, make them, uh, Brother George, make them want to get in on what they once rejected. Amen. Our text tonight, verses 12, 13, and 14, thus builds on this, this spiritual dynamic, their loss... Our gain, their loss, our gain, and our gain, their want. Their loss, our gain, our gain, their want. So God's help tonight. I'll preach quickly on this thought, a gracious 
plan, a gracious plan. I had aspirations for a real big fancy title. Brother Thomas had it worked out my mind. That sounds really good. And I said, no, I'm just chunk it. I'm just going to go simple. A gracious plan. Because I'm going to spoil it on the front end. If, just, I, if, if you could envision this in, in your mind with me, you have two uh, columns. You have one column and another column and an arrow connecting the two. Uh, you have Israel's rejection, then an arrow, our reception. And then you have our reception, then an arrow, and that's them wanting what they rejected. That's the, that is the gracious plan of God. I'm going to go spoil it. Uh, Brother Ed, we didn't deserve to receive the grace of God, and they didn't deserve the grace of God uh, to get a second chance. Amen. But thank God for grace. A gracious plan. Number one, we're focusing in on their loss our gain. Look at verse 12 with me, if you will. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I'll look at verse 12 and uh, one half and then the other half in a moment. Um, but we're looking at the first half of verse number 12 where it says, If the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles. I'm just going to pause there. We have two statements. It's in question form, but it's acknowledging the fact of a fall and a diminishing of the nation of Israel. And Brother Bill says that uh, their fall resulted in the riches of the world, and their diminishing resulted in the riches of the Gentiles. seems like everybody's getting rich except for the Jew because they have fallen. They have have been diminished. Now, one thing I think is important for us to note tonight is this. Some people have this idea that their definition of word is God's definition of word. One thing we must understand, I mentioned this many times, but I'm going to mention it again. The way words are used and their definitions have changed throughout the ages. I always give an example of this. When we say despise today, we mean we hate, we detest, we resent. That's not what despise means in the Bible. Despise simply means in the Bible is to think less of. When we see the word fall here, we should not incorporate, oh, uh, they've, they've fallen, God's cast them out. But it doesn't say that. It says... Their fall, the fall of them be the riches of the world. Their fall, as stay, and I, I like this, this is something that came to me, and you do it what you want to. I think sometimes God's word, God knows what he's doing, don't you? God knows what he's doing. And Brother Thomas, it's not so much that God was calling them fallen, but he recognized everybody else was saying that they had fallen. You say, what do you mean, Brother Jacob? They had, Brother Ed, they're still God's chosen people. They're still the apple of God's eye. They're still the people of promise. They're still, amen, they're still the covenant people. Y'all hearing me tonight? What have they fallen from? They've not left those places. They're still God's people. But when you look, I'm just going to mention this. I, I, I found this interesting, but I know I don't speak Greek and y'all don't speak Greek, but I do find this interesting. The word fall, the, same, the Greek word for fall is the same Greek word for offense. And then the word diminishing, that, that, that Greek word for diminishing is the same Greek word as the word fall. I thought that very interesting. Gives us a little bit of perspective there. Their fall, as stated by, as, as supposed by many, uh, or offense, equaled the riches of the world, and they're diminishing. You say, oh, Brother Jacob, God has put Israel in a less than situation, or God is, they're not at that, that big focal point anymore. 
Let me tell you something. God, in a sense of the timeline of God's plan and the timeline of God's word, Israel may be set aside, but they've not been set down. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Israel may pick, the, the focal point's going to shift back to Israel during the end times. The focal point's going to shift back to Israel in the end times. Can I tell you, brother, just because they're on the next page of the script don't mean they're off the page altogether. Praise God. I didn't have to wrote it down, but that's pretty good. I might need to write it down. They're diminishing. It's not that uh, God has pushed them down and they're some sick, uh, some uh, redheaded stepchild. No. Uh, the diminishing or their fault equaled the riches of the Gentiles. You may ask the question, Brother Jacob, how has them rejecting God brought riches to the world? How has them uh, being diminished or, uh, or their fall, how has it resulted in the Gentiles receiving the riches of God? Let me say this. Got to point this out. God wanted and still wants them. Yes. Say it again. God's always wanted and He still wants them. God loves the Jews. Uh, they are still His people. They are the apple of His eye. Uh, amen. Uh, God never promised any nation to never be eradicated except for one, and that was the nation of Israel. God wanted and still wants them, but now it is emphatically declared that God wants them and everybody else. Let me say that again. God wants them. He's always wanted them. He'll always want them, but now everybody knows He's not just a God of the Jews. He's a God of the Jews and also the Greek. Amen? He's the God of the wise and the unwise. Y'all hearing me tonight? He is a God, brother, and He wants wants the Jews, but he wants the Gentile dogs too. Amen and amen for that tonight. He wants them, but he wants everybody else too. Now, I don't know about y'all. You say, why you get excited about that? Because I'm in that everybody else too category. Amen. And, uh, you say, well, bro, I, I got to take time to clarify this. I just knew this might come up in my mind when I was studying today. But the truth is, some people say, well, uh, every Gentile before this, before this event, Brother Thomas, every Gentile went to hell. That's not true. That ain't true at all. But it was a little different then. You, a lot of the time people then, uh, uh, they didn't know about the God of heaven unless they got around the Jews. Yes, that's right. They didn't know about God until they got around the Jews. So there's a great association you had to be connected somehow with the Jews. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, who was a pagan man, sister gender, he came in contact with the God of heaven through Moses. When I tell you today, you don't have to learn. You can't, you're not forced to be around the Jews to get, know the God of heaven. You just got to get a hold of one Jew. Not the Jews, but one Jew. And uh, the Jew who was one uh, uh, born out of due season. Amen. One who uh, was a, a root spring up out of dry ground. One who was born of a virgin's womb. One who knew no sin and died for sin in the place of sinful man. And one who died and was buried and rose again. He died, but he didn't stay dead and he's not going to stay gone. I'm talking about that Jew. Amen. Amen. That's pretty good right there. I'll say amen. Plow on, preacher. That's good preaching. Amen. He wants everybody. The Jews include. Here's one of the big things, one of the issues Paul is dealing with in Romans 9, 10, and 11. We know it is national and division. But one thing that the Jews had a problem with uh, in the days of the early churches, Paul and the other apostles, brother, they were preaching uh, that everybody could get in. What do you have to do to get in? You had to, uh, you had to believe in God. You had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you would be saved. And George, they said, no, 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 no. They got to keep the law. They got to do this. Well, they don't got to keep all the law, but they got to keep this one law. Those 
were Judaizers. What they were trying to do is put in Jewish, Jewish uh, commands and laws uh, uh, as requirements for salvation. And true preachers of the gospel said, no, 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 no. Well, you don't got to keep any of the laws of God. There's but one thing you got to do, and that is to believe. That's have faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, the same thing that, that, that what Paul dealt with earlier in Romans was, well, if, if you, nobody gets saved by the deeds of the law, then is the law of none effect? And the Bible said, God forbid, the law is still important. It still teaches us. If it gives us guidelines, it provides us morals. But just the same way as it didn't provide salvation then, it doesn't provide salvation now. And the Jews had a, it was a hard pill from the swallow, Sister Ginger, because they thought that they were special. And they are special. But the thing is, is they don't have the monopoly on God. Can y'all just get with me tonight? I'm glad they don't have a monopoly on God. I'm glad the whites don't have a monopoly on God. Or the blacks have a monopoly on God. Or the yellows have a monopoly on God. Or red, the reds have a monopoly on God. You hearing me tonight? I'm glad he's a God of all people everywhere, every tongue, Jew and Gentile. Everybody can get in the church of the living God. Their loss, our gain. He won't stand, but he wants everybody else to. Let me point this fact out quickly. God has always wanted mankind. Always. You say, no, no, no. He just wanted the Jews. No. He didn't start by making the Hebrew race. He started by making the human race. And humanity fell in the garden, Sister Linda. So God said, I've got to... It was not some afterthought. But God knew that since humanity fell in the garden, Brother George, that God would have to pick a line. Why do you have to pick a line? Why do you have to pick a people? Could He didn't have to be... That's racist of God. Hogwash. I mean, who do you think you are to define and bucking God like you got higher morals than God? He had to pick a line. Why did he pick a line? Because he couldn't protect everybody because people are going to die. But he had to preserve one nation of people. Why did he protect that nation? Special treatment for Israel. Yeah, a little bit. But the whole reason he protected them is not for Abraham. It's not for Isaac. Not for Jacob. Not for David. Not for Solomon. Those are all parts of the plan. But the reason he protected that one line is because one day in Bethlehem, the Messiah, the Christ of God would be born. God had to pick a, a line, Brother Thomas. Listen to me. He had to pick a people for Jesus to come through. But do not mistake for a moment that Jesus only came, uh, that he, he came through, he, for, for one people he came through. But he, listen, they're not the only people he came to. Amen. Amen. Let me say that again. I got a little excited. Let me say it again. Um, amen. That's good. He had to pick a line for Christ to come through. But the Jews are not the only people He came to. God sent His Son for the world. Their fall, their diminishing, equals the riches of the world, the riches of the Gentiles. But then in the second part of verse 12, following that, talking about their fall being the riches of the world and their diminishing being the riches of the Gentiles, Paul says this, how much more their fullness. Brother Bill, can I say it this way? Paul said... If Israel in a bad spot did all this good for the Gentiles, how much more is it going to be when Israel's in a good spot? Is it going to be good for the world? If they're... I'm being very pointed and specific in the way I'm about to say this. If they're estranged, self-ostracized position resulted in the world's gain. Now let me back up and say this. God didn't put them in the corner... God didn't kick them out of the house. This, this crazy illustration will be coming all day. I didn't put it in words, but I'm going to say it here. It'd be like this, okay? Just imagine with me if you will. If, if there was a woman 
who spit on a man and ran out of the house and then telling everybody he spit on me and kicked me out of the house. No, you spit and you ran, but the story to everybody else was he spit on me and he kicked me out of the house. You say, what do you mean, Brother Jacob? No, Israel didn't necessarily spit on God, but God didn't kick them out of the house either. You say, well, uh, he said, she said, no, Israel's got, they did wrong. God's always done right. So in their, in their position, God says, I've tried to be your God. I've tried to be your Lord. I've tried to be your God. I've tried to be your shepherd. And they said, nah, we're good. Nah, I know we can serve the God of heaven, but man, these pagan gods, they're, they're cool and they're creative. I like their colors. We laugh at that, but that makes about as good as much sense as they thought it would. Now, with me tonight? And they rejected God. Remember back in chapter number 10, he said he's, he's, he had his hand stretched out to a, a, a gainsaying, rebellious people. He's trying to be their God, Sister Kathy. And they went their own way. They went their own way. But they've ostracized themselves. They've estranged themselves. They've separated themselves. They've made themselves outcasts. They've made, he said, what do you mean, brother? Jake? The Bible talks about being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That's talking about us. They receive the commonwealth of God. They receive the blessings of God. But Miss Ginger, their behavior and their unbelief has put them in a bad position against God. God didn't do anything wrong. They are the ones done wrong. So we're on the same page there. If their estranged or self-ostracized position resulted in the world's gain, how much greater will the gain be in their Fullness. What is the fullness? The fullness is the position opposite of the position that their rejection landed them in. The mere mention of this fullness, the mere mention of this fullness is another proof that God is not done with the nation of Israel. Now, who's writing here? Paul's writing here, but whose words are they? They're God's words. So it's not Paul mentioning a possible restoration of the nation of Israel. It's God talking about a possible re- restoration of the nation. You said, Brother Zach, what's the grace in that? If you rejected me, I don't need a second chance. I don't need you to burn me twice. But the great big God of heaven and earth is greater than you and I are. And we would say, one and done, fool me once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Listen, we have that mentality, but God says, you know what? I'm going to give them a second chance, and I'm going to give them grace again. I'm going to give them mercy again. That's the beauty of the grace of God. The mere mention of that fullness is proof that God is not done with the nation of Israel. God's not done with the nation of Israel. Paul highlights that they would go back to where and who they left. It would be riches across the board. Let me back it up and say this. Israel in a bad spot means the riches of the world. But Israel in a good spot, in the right spot, in the God spot, Brother Thomas, that's not just riches for the Gentiles. That's the riches for all of humanity. You say, Brother Jacob, is that attainable here? I don't think necessarily in fullness, but I do know this, that there's a promise of a restored people with Jesus sitting on the throne of His Father, David. Yes. Y'all know what I'm talking about tonight? Well, when will this? When, 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 was their, when will their position be entirely rectified? I believe during the millennial kingdom, when there will oh, there will be no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. Hallelujah! And the Savior will be seated on the throne of David. Amen. Their loss, our gain. 
Now, here's the part that really we, we know about, we've preached about several times in chapter 10 and uh, previously in chapter number 11, but this is the part that kind of really sparked my attention uh, yesterday and going over again today as well. The first thing we looked at was their loss, our gain. Here in verse 13 and 14, I want to emphasize our gain, their want, their want. Verse 13, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Now you notice verse 13 ends with a colon, which grammatically tells us that the thought can't end there. The verse must continue on. The thought continues in verse 14. Paul's essentially flexing his title as the apostle of the Gentiles, and he proceeds to say, If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. According to verse, they're talking about verse 13, and we'll get to verse 14. Paul, by inspiration, tells his Gentile audience that he is speaking to them. He said, Okay. It's kind of like okay to me too, Brother George. We know that this is he's speaking to a Gentile audience. He's speaking to the believers at Rome, the people of the church of Rome. Brother Bill, it's addressed to a body of Gentile people. Yes. We already know he's talking to the Gentiles. He's talking about the Jews in these chapters, but Brother Ed, he's talking to Gentiles. It's kind of like, it's a little redundant. Why is God having Paul tell the Gentiles who he's been talking to that he's talking to them again? They like they didn't already know uh, that he was the apostle of the Gentiles. They didn't know that he was, the, uh, he was speaking to them. It's not because they somehow forgot that Paul was addressing them. This was done to add extra emphasis on what came next. Can I say it this way real plainly? Brother Jim, when, when Paul said, now I'm the apostle of, of, of the Gentiles. I, I'm speaking Gentiles, y'all hear me and hear me good. It's pretty much saying, he said, Gentiles don't miss what's coming next. He wanted to add extra emphasis there. And was it, was it Paul? No, it was God. wanted to add that extra emphasis Paul told the Gentiles that they better not miss the next verse. In so doing, he reminded them of his title as the Apostle of the Gentiles. You say, Brother Jake, what's the big idea of that? Because uh, two-thirds of our New Testament was uh, uh, penned by this very man, Paul, who was the Apostle of Gentiles. Can I, you say, well, why does that make me excited? I'm glad it's not. I, I'm thankful for the parts about Abraham, Isaac, David, and Solomon, and Moses, and Noah. Y'all, I'm glad about those parts, but I really like them parts about the Gentiles, too. Yes, Notice what it says here. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I have magnified my office. Now, sometimes you read a word and you're like, okay, uh, I know what that means. But then you're like, do I really know what that means? I know what the word in means. I know what the word as mean. I know what the word much means. But there's only a handful of times in God's word, Sister Ginger, that those three words are in unison as one word. So it kind of sparked my interest looking at it. Spark mantras. The word inasmuch grammatically conveys a superimposition or to superimpose. And I'll be honest with you, y'all can judge me if you will. I'm very honest. I'm not great at pronouncing words, and I, I, my, my vocabulary is not very. It's not the greatest in the world. I'm trying to do better. But brother Bill, I don't use the word superimpose all the time. Okay, I definitely don't use the word superimposition all the time. But simply, what it means is that word superimposes, brother. To superimpose is to lay something on. 
I don't know what y'all, but Paul picks up his title and he lays it on the Gentiles. He said, Brother, Brother Jacob, why is he laying his title on the Gentiles? He is reflecting, he, he is, he is uh, in a way, he is flexing or advertising or flashing his position, Brother Thomas, to make sure these Gentile, this Gentile audience knows how important it is what he's about to say. And he's about to say something very important. You don't want to miss it. Simply put, God had Paul lay his title on the Gentiles, hence him magnifying or advertising his office. I don't think Paul was being cocky or arrogant. I don't think he was freelancing. I think he was doing what God told him to do because that's what the inspiration of Scripture is. Look at verse 14. He's telling us, why has he done it? If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Here we discovered why Paul addressed the Gentiles and advertised his office as if these things were unknown unto them. Here we learn what God did not want the Gentiles to miss. He had been speaking, this is good, he had been speaking to the Gentiles about the Jews and the collateral effect on the Gentiles. And now he was speaking to the Gentiles about themselves and the intended collateral effect on the Jews. So he's been, tell, he's been telling them about the Jews and their fall and how it affected the Gentiles. Now he's talking about the Gentiles, at, about what happens with them, how it will affect the, Gen, uh, the Jews. Let me say that again. I got tongue-tied there. He's been talking to the Gentiles about how the Jews, what they did, how it would positively affect the Gentile. But now he's talking to the Gentiles and tells them what they do with God, how it will positively affect the Jews. Now I want to say some kind of cycle, but a cycle tends to repeat. Brother it's a flow. The Jews did wrong. The Gentiles got good. Now the Gentiles got good. Now something good's going to happen to the Jews. Right here in verse 14, Paul says, If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. I'm going to say this. This is probably not exhaustive what I'm about to say, but it's just pretty much a generalization, so hear me out. Paul preaching to the Gentiles had a threefold motivation according to this verse. Look at the verse. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Threefold motivations here. It's probably not exhaustive, but it is a generalization, I'm assuming. The three, uh, the three motivations. Number one, why did Paul preach to the Gentiles? Number one, God called him to preach to the Gentiles. He let the other apostles do their things, uh, 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 hunkered down at the church of Jerusalem, some scattered out to Jews here, there, and yonder, but God called Paul to be the preacher, the apostle, the one who took the message to the Gentiles. That's motivation one. God called them to... Motivation number two is pretty obvious. Any preacher has got the same motive, has got this, have the same motivation, or they're not a called there in a career. Amen. But number one motivation was God called them to. Number two motivation was so that Gentiles might be saved. Miss Ginger, if they're gonna get saved, they had to hear the message of salvation. You can't get saved. You can't get saved apart from hearing the good news of the gospel. How can you believe on him in whom you've not heard? It's a motivation too, so the Gentiles might be saved. But the third motivation is what is referred to here in verse number 14. Why do you preach to the Gentiles? So the Jews would want to be saved because the many Gentiles 
we're saved. Say that again. Third motivation. So that the Jews would want to be saved because all of the Gentiles, they got saved. His picture for this with me, if we will. The Jews thought it's, it's, it's through rites, it's through rituals, it's through, uh, it's through holy days, it's through feasts, it's through uh, sacrifice. And God's word comes through and says it's simple by faith. Man on board, girl, Jew, Gentile alike. You can be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these Gentiles start getting saved. And they said, well, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. And they said, they're all getting on. That's my Savior. That's my Messiah. That's my Redeemer. Brother George, they see all these Gentiles getting on what they could have had. And Miss Ginger, then they want what they originally did not want. That's the third motivation. So the Jews would want to be saved because the many Gentiles were saved. The third motivation we just spoke of refers to God's method of emulation. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I told you a moment ago, I, in my everyday vernacular, I don't use the word emulation. Okay, y'all judge me, I know. Maybe y'all do. Maybe y'all got a better KJV vocabulary than I do. But, Brother Bill, I don't use that word every day. There's a, a, a very near words that we probably all use uh, more uh Regular than this word emulation, I think a good word that's probably close to this in our modern vernacular would be to stimulate. But emulation, this means to kindle or excite or if we want to use the old English word, it would be insight. I-N-C-I-T-E. Kindle, excite, insight, stimulate, if you will. You say, Brother Jacob, what do you mean? What I mean is this, by the salvation coming on the Gentiles is the good news of the gospel comes, Sister Ginger, and Gentiles get saved in that day and in this day. And Brother Thomas, what happens is our salvation is meant to start a fire of burning desire to the Jews. Make them want what we have. That is what Paul's talking about. And can I tell you, it works beyond just the Jews today. It works to every man, woman, girl on the face of the planet who does not know the Lord. If we got something good, we ought to advertise that it is good. It's not just all right. Uh, listen, I saw a man this morning at Kroger, and uh, he said, how you doing? I said, I'm wonderful. He said, yes, Lord. Amen. And I said, yeah, God's good. He said, all the time. And it's two, it's two brothers in Christ standing between two silver Ford trucks, and we was talking about how good God was. You hear me this morning? Or this afternoon i'm thankful uh, that what we've got's good and, and we ought to and you've heard me say it before but we need to make the gospel of jesus christ attractive no it's not a, a fairy tales it's not all running through tulips and daisies it's not how good you are how pretty you'll be or how wealthy you'll be no that brother ed the gospel of jesus christ is the death burial and resurrection of god's son and he died and was buried and rose again to be he was delivered for our offenses he was raised again for our justification and if you believe on that son of god You'll be saved. Y'all with me? Yes. Well, well, I want to invite you to church. I want to invite you to the Lord. You're going to change your life. You're going to give up all your fun. It's going to be horrible. That's what the world thinks salvation is. That's not what we're. That's not what we're peddling. That's not what we're preaching. That's not what we're telling people. We want them to come, brother. Not tell them how to get clean. We want to tell them how to get to God. Amen. Amen. That's God's method of emulation. It's to start a fire of burning desire in the Jews. And we make the application to the world. Make it attractive. Make it attractive. Make it attractive. And Paul took the gospel of Jesus Christ to Gentiles far and wide. So they could be saved. And so some of the Jews would be saved as a result of God's provoking 
plan that lines up with chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, chapter 11, verse number 11. Not going to go back and re-preach them, but God talked about provoking them by a foolish nation, a people who are not a people. Who's that talking about? That's talking about us. God would use the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. He said, Brother Jacob, why did Paul so say some of them be saved? I love God's Word. And God's Word is honest. God's Word is true. We know that God can save everybody, right? God can save everybody. But God is knowing, Sister Ginger, He knows that everybody can be saved, but He is sovereign and knows that not everybody will be saved. Paul's hope was that all Jews would hear, but he knew that not all Jews would believe. So he used the word by inspiration of God, some. Save some. You say, well, Brother Jacob, he put a whole lot of work in and only some of them get saved. I heard an illustration many years ago, and you probably heard the same. If you listen to the uh, radio station there in Douglasville, uh, it, there's a story that a, a man tells, and it's a real good story. And this, this young boy was running down the beach, and he was picking up starfish. And he's throwing them back in the ocean. Every time he found a starfish, he's throwing them back in the ocean. Throwing them back in the ocean. And one man said, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to save the starfish. And he said, you'll never save them all. And he picked one up, brother. And he said, I saved that one. Listen, you might not be able to save them all, but if you can win some of them, it'll be worth it all. Uh, Many years ago I heard a song, but the truth of the matter is every hour uh, of your life, every hour of your day, every uh, uh, every drop of blood, sweat, and tear you can put into ministry, if it's just for one soul, it's worth it. Every song, every note on the instrument, every hour of uh, of preparation, every uh, dollar spent on paper or technology to prepare a sermon or distribute uh, the good news of the gospel, it's worth it all. Every track we've printed, every track we've given, it's worth it all if just one person person gets into the family of God. But we know the Word of God's powerful. So we're trusting that more than just one soul will be saved. But what Paul is telling us here today is that uh, it's worth it to even if it's for some. He said, well, Jacob, Paul, Paul didn't do all that much. Well, I beg to differ. Hey, he preached the gospel, and Brother Bill, he planted churches in his, the whole known world in his day, insomuch that it wasn't just a church uh, uh, in Crete. Uh, Paul sent his preacher boy down there to make sure that there was churches in every city that preached the gospel. Paul. Paul. He did a lot for Gentiles. Acts chapter 20, verse 31 tells us that Paul, this is Paul, this is Paul writing. God gave him, uh, gave him the words to say. Paul is chronicling, according by inspiration of God, and he's chronicling that, Brother Ed, when he's leaving a town, this is what he said. He said, I, for the span of three years, for three years, he said, I cease not day and night to declare unto you the gospel of God. Three years, day and night. Miss Judy, I think Paul was. Paul wrote that Ephesus make full proof of thy ministry I think he did why? so Gentiles could be saved but oh yeah some of the Jews that would hear of those Gentiles being saved they would want to be saved also hurrying the heart of this verse has got to be along the lines of when Gentiles come to Christ then Jews will want Christ this sets forth, and quickly give some application, we'll be done. This sets forth the threefold motivation for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, I want you to hear this. There's three good examples, three good reasons to be saved right here in this passage or uh, in the spirit of this passage. 
Why would you want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, why would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. It's true. Brother Ed, there's been history penned that's been false. There's been books written that have been false. There's been papers and articles that have been printed that have been false. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. The Holy Son of God was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was not just a good man. He was not just a prophet. He was God in the flesh. And he died on the cross for the sin debt of the whole world. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave, purchasing a redemption for all mankind. He ascended to the Father, and he sat down at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and I. Why would I want to believe the gospel? If you're not saved today, why would you want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the gospel is true. It's not some fairy tale. Motivation number two, if you're lost today, why would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? The gospel is true. Number two, everyone needs to be saved. Men need to be saved. Women need to be saved. Boys need to be saved. Girls need to be saved. Young people need to be saved. Old people need to be saved. Fat people need to be saved. Skinny people need to be saved. Pretty people need to be saved. Ugly people need to be saved. Everybody needs a Savior. The gospel of Christ is true, and everyone needs to be saved. Don't matter how good you think you are, how safe you think you are, uh, listen to me. If you've never believed on Him and God's made you aware of your sin, you need to believe on Him before it's eternally too late. Third motivation for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ today, your faith can and will encourage others to be saved. It's one thing for, can I say it this way, an adult to be like, I'm saved. Other adults get excited. But when a young person gets saved, it sparks something in another child. They have something I don't have. I'm missing out on something. They're, this seems wonderful, but I don't have that. I remember, Brother Ed, when I was a six-year-old boy, uh, there was a big wave. It seemed like a lot of young people got saved at the church I grew up in. And I was just, I was the only one in that age bracket that wasn't quite yet saved. So you know what? I'll I, I, be honest with you. I said, well, I'm just going to get saved because they said they got saved. It started something in me, but what I try to do is I try to act on what they did yeah, instead of acting on what he did. That's the problem where I got messed up. But you say, well, Brother Jacob, if they just get excited because somebody else gets saved, they'll get saved for the wrong reasons. Well, the truth of the matter is this, is what, what happens is a spark will start on the inside, that emulation, that kindling, that exciting about being saved. And what happens is not that they act on what somebody else did, but the Holy Ghost of God will encourage them. What the same way it did to me is not to act on what others did, but act on what Jesus did. And that's when you get saved. And God can burst something in your heart. Burst something in the heart of others, but ultimately it's the Lord. It's the Lord that puts it all together and shows you your need of Him. It's what I, I, there's a great there's a great man of God named Brother Mark Stroud, and I remember him telling this story years ago. Brother George, I, I believe you were present that day, but he said uh, he said they went to a steakhouse one night after service, and it's his youngest son. He was just boohooing, brother. He's just crying, weeping, and he said, "He's buddy." He said, "What's wrong?" He said, well, Daddy said, you're saved and going to heaven. And Mama's saved and going to heaven. And his brother had just got saved. He said, our Bubba's going. He's saved and he's going to heaven. And I'm not saved and I'm not going to heaven. He said, well, that spark started. That man could have seized, Brother Mark could have said, well, let me just, let me get you to say this prayer real quick. No, <laughs> he didn't do that. He said, well, who told you you lost, son? He said, well, you did, Daddy, when you was preaching. He said, son, it's going to take more than me telling you you're lost. When the Holy Ghost, he already had that desire. 
He wanted to be saved like the rest of his family, Brother Ed, but it took more than a preacher to tell him. The Holy Ghost of God would have to tell him. And I, I believe today, I believe that whole family saved. But it wasn't because, it wasn't because, just because his brother got saved. The spark started, but the Holy Ghost had to get a hold of him. Y'all with me tonight? Yes, sir. Quickly, and I'm done. We see Paul's motivations for preaching to the Gentiles. We see um, motivations for believing on Christ today. But can I finish with this? Also set forth in the text is a threefold motivation to share the gospel. So we talked about Paul. We've talked about the lost. Can I talk to save people just for a moment tonight? Three motivations for sharing the gospel. Number one reason to share the gospel is to obey the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His declaration to uh, the, the disciples there who were the founders of that, or that early church was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. When we do that, we are following the command of God. It says unto Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You know what that tells us to do? That we're to share the gospel across the street, across the town, across the state, across the seas. Amen. We are to share the gospel. You say, well, I can't go across the seas. That's why we support missions. Amen. Well, I can't go across the country. Well, that's why we support missionaries stateside and foreign to share the gospel in places we can. You say, well, well, I need missionaries at the Walmart. Well, good thing. I got good news for you because you're the missionary down at the Walmart. Amen. 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 Share it's to obey the Lord's command. Now I'm not saying I, I give the gospel to every person I see. I probably need to do better. And I think we could all agree we probably all could do better. But the truth of the matter is this is there sometimes God gets on you and says, You better say something, you better say something, you better say something. I'm just gonna tell you I've been for experience. You don't want to have to circle back and hope they're still there. Just talk to them while you're there. Yes, sir. Talk to them while you're there. If you want to sleep good at night, you just obey God to give the gospel every time He touches your heart and you'll be all right. To obey the Lord's command. Number two, why would you share the gospel? For the hearer to be saved. Why do I preach the gospel week in and week out? It's because hopefully somebody who hears it, whether it's here or listen to the audio later, brother, I preach the gospel because I want want people to hear it and I want them to be saved. I don't want everybody to hear what I preach and say, man, I'm not listening to none of that. No, you hear, but you preach the word of God is for saints to be encouraged and for the lost to be saved. Amen. Lastly, third motivation: the hearer salvation may encourage or provoke someone you love to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you share it with somebody else, it may not be your salvation that encourages that loved one to be saved. It may be the salvation of another, yes. someone you shared the gospel with. I close. If we want someone to possess what we have, we need to propagate what we have. Yes, we do. Say that again. If we want someone to possess what we have, we need to propagate, peddle, proclaim what we have. I'm done preaching tonight.